What is up, football life? Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. Hope you're doing well on this Friday. This is Football Life Presents, the Audible on this Football Friday. I'm your host, Randy Emmond, who has not slept in a very long time. Thank you much to my work schedule and the football team that I have been chosen to root for in this life. So, uh, But Matt, I'm here with you today, buddy. We're back. It's Friday. How you doing, my friend? All the way out in Arizona. It looks sunny and probably beautiful, right? Yep, Sunny woke up this morning. It was a little chilly this morning. We were in the low 60s this morning, but then we peak up, go out to the mailbox this morning, a nice blustery 70 degrees. I couldn't. It was a little chilly this morning. I'm happy for you. Uh, the climate, not quite the same, but it is beautiful with the leaves and everything here in upstate New York. Uh, but yes, we will break down the uh, just atrocious Thursday night football game featuring the NFC East last night. Uh, and we will preview each and every game week seven this weekend. And then we got some news to touch on at the end of the show before we uh, send you guys off for a great weekend of football. Uh, but let's jump right into it, Matt. Uh, my New York football giants somehow, some way do seem to find new ways to lose and they seem to grasp defeat from the claws of victory and they did it again last night they lose 22 to 21 to the philadelphia eagles in this game you i mean you could have told me with six minutes left in this game that they were up 21 to 10 they were gonna lose this game and i would have been absolutely shocked uh, i thought the giants had this one in the bag they had me excited for a win i i these days don't really want the giants to win anymore because i'm ready for dave gettleman to get out of here but i was like you know what they haven't beaten philly in four years i was excited i was like let's do this you know i'm about to buy in but you know what you can change the scheme you can change the coaching staff you can change the players but this is the still the same old Giants, Matt. And somehow, some way, crucial mistake after crucial mistake, they somehow, and I still don't know how, but they absolutely blew this game. And everyone's like, well, this isn't even that big of a loss because they're already one and six. Don't get me wrong, Matt. This is one of the worst losses I've ever seen as a Giants fan, and I've seen a ton of them. Yeah, I don't think it's so much the loss, but you have to look at what happened to get to the loss when you see two personal foul penalties on number 45, I don't even know his name. You know, it's something that you can't have as a coaching staff. Then you take a look at, okay, you're up 21 to 10. The, once they punted mm -hmm. that ball and, you know, rest in peace to Sean Jackson's knee because that thing is torn up. Um, the, the, that was just such a stupid personal foul penalty that didn't need to happen. He had enough time to pull up. So then you give him 15 extra yards and in a blink of an eye, they're in the red zone, like literally mm -hmm. within a blink of an eye, boom, they're ready to score. So it's just mistakes that plague this team that they can't get out of their own way. And to me personally, I've seen this from a coach before in Chicago and his name was Mark Trussman talking about growing the man, talking about all these great concepts. And, you know, he to talked a lot of coach garbage. But, man, at the end of the day, Randy, when your coach, Joe Judge, does the laps, the push-ups, talking about discipline, and then the one constant you see from this team is Daniel Jones fumbling. Daniel Jones making more turnovers than he did in the past. And then you take a look at the personal falls and you take a look at all the dumb mistakes, the pre-snap penalties. Where's the discipline? So I need to ask you, Randy, right now, what are your thoughts on the Joe Judge tenure? 
Look, man, uh, he says all the right things you want your coach to say, which is not saying much, but we've seen, you know, even in the same city that a coach does not handle the media and the press all that well. So to me, I think Judge is uh, well-intentioned and I think he's smart and I think he's um, motivated. And I like that he said yesterday, he's like, you know, I'm not making any excuses. I own that. Um, we're going to, we're going to try to fix it. But to me that when you come in here and you, you know, are making these guys run laps and you're diving on loose balls and practice to rally those guys, like it all looks good on, on film and it looks good on like a clip on Twitter and all this stuff. And I get it. Um, but when there's, you preach accountability and you preach discipline and you, you preach uh, smart football and then this happens, you know, you're set six weeks into the season now. Um, and there's no development and there's no improvement anywhere. Um, Daniel Jones has basically gotten worse and it's, it's, it's sad because you come into this year thinking the offense was a strong suit and sure enough, he has not gotten any better. And I know a lot of that is the roster. A lot of that is Dave Gettleman. So I'm not putting that a lot on Joe judge. I also don't want to put that a lot on him because they hired Jason Garrett to be their offensive coordinator, who uh, I feel holds them back quite a bit. Um, you know, the, Joe judge does not have a lot of in-game coaching experience. So late in the game when Doug Peterson's holding a timeout, cause he understands how much time is left on the play clock. And then he has the two minute warning and two more timeouts. Like judge has no more timeouts at that point. Like he doesn't have a lot of time. Like he doesn't have a lot of experience to figure out how to use time management. You know, Andy Reid didn't even master that until a couple of years ago. He always got killed for time management and how to utilize his timeouts. So, um, you know, Joe Judge, at the end of the day, and we spoke about this before the season started, all that stuff is all well and good when you're making him run laps and being disciplined and all this stuff. What's it going to be like when you're 0-5? Okay, you're 0-5, and then you're 1-5. And, and now you're 1-6, and, and you're like, oh, Giants should have won that game. Yeah, but they also could have got killed in that game. They easily could be 0-7 right now. So you're preaching things that you're not seeing on the field. And to me, I worry about that message not resonating with the players in the long term. So, you know, I can preach accountability. I can preach uh, discipline. I can preach like we're going to hold you responsible for your actions. But at the end of the day, you're not seeing those results. As far as Daniel Jones goes, he actually did not play that bad in this game. If you ask me, Matt, I thought he was uh, one of his better games of the year, which might not be saying all that much, but he used 20 or 30, 187 yards, two touchdowns. And uh, just for my buddy Chris's sake here, uh, I want to share my screen and, and show the play of the, the game here. And uh, if you haven't, if you live under a rock, then you, <laughs> you probably missed this, but um, let me just pull it up if I can for a second. <clears throat> But Daniel Jones has an 80-yard sprint, essentially, for what it looks like a breakaway touchdown. And uh, he <laughs> just trips over his own feet. Let me uh, figure out yeah. how to get this thing working here. Yeah, and Jacob made a funny comment. <laughs> me trying to look like un I understand all this stuff. Like, man, I'm a Bears fan. Of course I understand this stuff. Like, there were some lean years there for Bears fans. All right, here we go. Daniel Jones. So this is the play? God, what is Brandon Graham look or 55 looking at? Oh boy, he's off to the races, Randy. He's off. Look at him go. Look at him go. Oh, oh, Turf monster. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> it you, hurts. You know who wouldn't have stumbled there? Mitch Trubisky. M M Mitch Trubisky would have took it to the house there. Um you know what? I'm not like that's that's an 80 yard run at the end of the day. Um, it's an impressive play by Daniel Jones and the athleticism, and you want to see more RPOs 
from uh, Daniel Jones. Obviously, his legs are impressive. It's it's funny, of course, that that happens, and they do score on that drive. Thankfully for Daniel Jones' sake, I think Giants fans would have put him on the cross and started lighting it on fire at that point. If not, uh, so I'm not blaming Jones for this game. He had a turnover, which I'm going to tell you who I blame for this game 100% because that interception that he threw bounced right off the hands of Evan Ingram, and then the play of the game, which I should pull up, which I can't. I'm not going to pull up because I can't even watch it again. It just makes my blood boil. But the Giants are up 21 to 16 with three minutes or so, so, and it's third down. And Daniel Jones throws a perfect ball to Evan Ingram on the left side, left left hash, and Ingram reaches out, and the ball bounces right off his fingertips. And it is it could not really have been much a better pass than it was. And Ingram drops it, and sure enough, as soon as he dropped it, I go, "We're losing this over with. The Eagles are going to come down, and they're going to score, and this game's absolutely over with." And there's not a doubt in my mind that's what's going to happen here. And sure enough, the Eagles come down. They even like tried to blow it. Like there was a penalty, they get pushed back. Wentz throws a dime to Boston Scott, who is only good against the Giants ever, uh, and he catches the touchdown, and then they take the lead and the Eagles blew so many opportunities in the red zone with a two point conversions, extra points, field goals, turnovers, and they still got the job done somehow. And it's hundred percent on Evan Ingram because if he catches that ball, this game is over with. It's a first down. The Eagles have to call a timeout. Uh, and then it's, it's, they have the ball at mid like the 45, if not even further, they run the ball a couple of times. Phillies take another timeout and then the Eagles have no timeouts. You literally can just run out the clock and the game is over with. So Evan Ingram, what the hell, man? I don't know. The Giants fans are calling for Evan Ingram's head today. And I think it's warranted, Matt. I don't know. I don't like to blame a lot of things on just one player in particular, but Evan Ingram deserves a lot of the blame for me in this game. It ties into Henry's question. Henry Maldonado Jr., our, our dear friend Henry, commented, is Evan Ingram ever going to reach his potential? And if you watched the game last night, I, I think we kind of know. I mean, he's awfully injured. Do I want to blame the game on Ingram last night? Man, I, I just know that when you have an epic meltdown like that, it's not all on one player. You know, you got to take a look at the defense who – I mean, just let them carve them up in the last about five minutes of the game. The personal foul penalties on 45, he had two of them. Um, The pass interference penalty in the end zone, um, which was just completely ridiculous. You shouldn't, you you can't do that. The the Eagles were kind of short manned anyway in the injuries. Really, we could take a look at this game. And the Eagles have been making too much of a habit of getting down early and then coming back. Healthy, I don't think this is much of a game anyway, but there were other factors that led. Engram's catch would have probably sealed the game. I, I think we can all agree on that. It would have made it very difficult on the Eagles to win. Could the Eagles have won? Yes, they're the Eagles. Who knows what they can do? But when you, you take a look at the totality of the game, my key play was on that punt on that personal foul penalty, Deshaun Jackson was down and I get it. I, I, you know, I've played the sport. I know how you have to hold up. I know it's not easy, but as a special team mm-hmm. player, you, you have to know like one, you, there he's low to the ground. Why are you lowering your helmet? They didn't call him for a late hit. They called him for a helmet to helmet contact. And that's because you put mm-hmm. your head down and you didn't need to. Yeah. So I think that really just, really shifted the momentum because what Deshaun Jackson was inside the 20, maybe somewhere behind the 15. And then you put the Eagles yeah. almost right on the 30 yard line. Uh, it's not exactly a short field, but you, that field position s- swaps immediately. 
the interception was bad. I mean, Ingram has to catch that pass, but I, I just mm-hmm. go back to Daniel Jones. It's you, great. He makes the right decisions, but he didn't need to throw the ball that hard either. That's the thing. Like there's touch to being a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he whipped that thing in like he had a howitzer and Engram was pretty much wide open. I mean, it, it didn't need to come in that hot. So uh, there's ways to do it. Look, I'm not saying like it was, I, it was a beautiful throw, I thought, and it wasn't the greatest pass I've ever seen, but he definitely could have put more touch on it. But the ball is right there. I mean, Evan Ingram has really good hands for a, you know, a pass catcher, especially a tight end. And he's made way more difficult catches than that in his career. And you're taught, and I played wide receiver in football, and if it, catch, if it touches your hands, you have to catch the ball regardless. It doesn't matter. And this was not a difficult catch by but, any means for Evan Ingram. So I'm pretty disappointed that he couldn't come down with this, this play. At the same point, though, I mean, the quarterback's got to be a quarterback and help out his receivers. I mean, it's a team game at the end of the day. Yes, let's go ahead and blame Ingram. You know, that it's a fair summation, but he's not the only reason why. I'm not absolving him of that interception, but at the same time, your quarterback has to help you. And and I'm, I'm going to go way to the end of the game, the last play of the game, basically, when Jones fumbled. We see the same mistakes from him at the quarterback position. There's things you cannot do. And I, it ties into the interception in a way. It's not that hard to protect the football at the quarterback position if you cannot sense pressure. Keep the ball up by your chest. He had that thing hanging down by his waist, carrying it with an arm, getting ready to cock back. And that's what he always does. It's been a repetitive thing on film with him. He has no idea about ball placement when he's getting ready to cock the football and throw it. And it's one time after another i see it all the time with him and it's not it's it's correctable like i said in our group chat the other night or last night you either learn that in college or if you have a really smart high school football coach you learn that shit in high school why jones is still making these mistakes when he's labeled as a very cerebral player a very intelligent player that was like the big thing coming out of college for him and that's why he was drafted sixth overall was the athleticism and his um intelligence and i'm not doubting his intelligence i think he makes smart decisions i don't think he makes the same mistake twice outside of the fumbling but to me i would start being concerned i mean this is to the point where the fumbles have to stop you have to give you guys a chance at the end of the game yeah it's alarming to me that guys like pat Shermer who is largely considered a great quarterback coach. Uh, Jason Garrett, who played quarterback in the NFL, albeit not a great one, but still played it in the sport. Uh, and, you know, Eli Manning, who played, who obviously is a future Hall of Famer, couldn't tell him how to uh, hold the ball a little bit better and maybe have a little bit better pocket awareness because he probably has the worst pocket awareness of any quarterback that I've seen. Uh, and even in that play, like, you couldn't sense the pressure coming. No, I mean, there's a – the great ones just know, and you can feel it, and it's – it's there and for him it seems like so often and I, I know the line isn't very good and I know a lot of times he is getting blindsided by this but a lot of times these quarterbacks have internal clocks and they know and they can feel when the pressure's there and it's just an instinct and it's just a quarterbackial instinct and he just does not have it and at this point I, I it's fair to question if he ever will so I think that's fair and but the, the point of the play at the end I'll make 
It's a play should have never happened. Uh, Ingram catches the ball. They win the game. That play never happens to begin with. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, I, I don't like that it happened, but you could have said, you know, Ingram catches the ball and then you're not even in that situation. So uh, it's easy for me to say that, but the turnovers on Jones in this game to me feel like uh, kind of fluky and, you know, bad luck sort of, I guess, but the, the, the ball security for Jones doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And unfortunately he's had a turnover in all, but one of the games that he's played in his career so far, which is not good. I'm going to wrap on now, Matt, because we, I don't want to, you know, hear me complain about the giants, but for the record, uh, I've been very negative about the giants and for obvious reasons, uh, combined, they have lost 15 straight games to the Eagles and Cowboys. And there's no two teams I hate more in my life than the Eagles and Cowboys. And for, that is going back to 2016. They have not beaten either of those teams since the last election year. I am sick of this. I cannot stand losing to these teams anymore. And it happens every freaking time. And I'm sick of it. And the Giants have not beaten Philly in Philly since 2013. And that continues now. Uh, and, you know, credit to Carson Wentz because he struggled quite a bit a lot in this game. But he somehow managed to find a way to win this game. He made some really nice plays down the stretch uh not in the red zone but in general some nice chunk plays down the stretch that ended up killing the giants uh he had 25 and 43 359 yards two touchdowns he had a pick with bad pick in the, in the red zone but you know Wentz gets the job done and the giants don't and you know I, everyone's like oh you're so negative about the giants look this is the worst three-year stretch of football in franchise history and this is a franchise that had joe pisarchik starting at quarterback in the 70s for five years that's so bad you know how bad that is like i'm not being negative for my health I'm not being negative for no reason they deserve all the the freaking crap they get from me and everyone else because you know what what what, what credit do they deserve they don't deserve anything they're a garbage organization and nothing's going to change until gettleman and mara make some serious changes Yep, I'm not even going to go to my rant, but I'm, I'm just going to follow this up with one thing. And, and and I said this yesterday, and I said it a week ago, and I said it in the preseason prediction shows. I thought Andrew Thomas being drafted fourth overall or wherever the hell they drafted him was just a huge indictment of their talent evaluation. I know Giant fans bought into it because they said he was ready to play. He could move to right tackle. I mean, I go back to <clears throat> drafting is not – Drafting is incredibly hard. I'm never going to take drafting as lightly as maybe I want to sometimes. But you look at the tape. The the tape in college isn't going to lie to you. You can see certain things about players. Worths and Becton were maulers. I mean, you could see it. They physically dominated people at the point of attack, where Brown was a finesse blocker in college. When I see finesse, I mean, yeah, you may have decent technique, but it's alarming because I want to see a guy beat up because blocking is an attitude in the NFL. It's a mindset and you have to have a nasty disposition mm-hmm. to play this sport at that level. And I don't see it from Thomas. You know, unfortunately, it's not there. And to your point, Dave Gettleman is all to blame for every single pick. You're talking about Barkley, Thomas. They overdrafted Daniel Jones by a huge margin. I don't think Gettleman mm-hmm. knows how to draft. He may identify good players because Barkley's a good player and Daniel Jones looks to be an okay We player. all knew Saquon Barkley was a good player. I'm not crediting Dave Gettleman for figuring that out. Yeah, but <laughs> just, just everyone can see that. <laughs> yeah, it, but drafting is like an art, man. You got to manipulate the board. You got to manipulate how you where you pick guys and the Giants are the worst at it that I've seen in the NFL so far. I mean, even the Jets get it right. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm a guy who blames Dave Gettleman for a lot of my problems in life. Um, <laughs> I don't even know the guy, uh, but I cannot um, dismiss John Mara's role in all of this because 
at the end of the day, they hired Dave Gettleman to do what they wanted him to do. So, uh, you know, the ownership is just as responsible to me as Dave Gettleman is. And, you know, the mayors aren't going to sell. It's not like a, a Dan Snyder situation, but unfortunately um, it is similar to a Hal Steinbrenner situation. And, you know, other New Yorkers can probably relate to that a little bit, but uh, when it's a family run business and the son is now in charge, they probably don't have the same uh, chops or the same experience and the same, uh, you know, knowing what to do uh, as their dad once did. So uh, I'm, I'm frustrated. And at the end of the day, I don't know whatever Giants fan expected because uh, we told you they were going to be this bad. Yeah, I want to give love to, to Philly here a little bit, too, because I think a team that has been decimated by injuries at almost every single level on the offensive side of the football to get down versus Pittsburgh and fight back, to get down versus Baltimore and fight back, and now to get down to the Giants and fight back. Granted, you don't want to see them down in these games. You would like to see this team with the lead at some point, but I think you see the difference in coaching with Doug Peterson and like these guys will fight tooth and nail for Doug Peterson. And it makes a hell of a lot of difference for a team that honestly lacks a lot of talent. I mean, the Cowboys Mm -hmm. are definitely more talented than any other team in this division, but with all their injuries and with that defense being as awful, it is, it's not a chance. So to me, if the Eagles win this division with this roster, it might be the most impressive feat in Philadelphia sports history. And I know we talk about championships and, you know, the Nick Foles, Tom Brady, Super Bowl and everything, but this roster has no business winning six, seven games as constructed with these injuries. And it's all Doug Peterson right now. Yeah, Lane Johnson left this game for Philly as well. Uh, at one point, they didn't have Ertz or Goddard or Miles Sanders. I mean, they, they're was about as banged up as any team in the league right now. Uh, if I'm an Eagles fan, you know, I don't, probably don't feel the greatest about this win. But at the end of the day, like you said, shorthanded on a short week against a division rival. When you are 2-4-1 and one and now leading the division, uh, you'll take it and run out of town and hope that – you're ready to go for next weekend and continue maybe making a playoff push, uh, probably ending up being seven, eight and one and winning the division as bad as it is. So, uh, you know, you don't apologize for wins, Matt, as you like to say, as your five and one bears would like to say. Um, But if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm just happy somehow that they snuck that out. And if you're a Giants fan like me at the end of the day, uh, you got sucked back in briefly. You're like, cool, cool. We're going to break the streak. We're going to get, you know, get off the schneid a little bit, maybe momentum coming our way. And then they just, rip your heart out like they have done so often in the last three years. So Matt, I'm sick of talking about the giants and the Eagles. Um, so I want to move on and talk about the rest of the week because we got some great games. We we're going to start with the early slate of games. And this is the one o'clock games for me, the 10 o'clock games for you. And let's start in Atlanta where the Atlanta fighting Raheem Morris's are now one and zero post Dan Quinn. They are hosting Leon Tompkins, Detroit lions. I kind of like this matchup, Matt. What do you think? I actually love this game. I think this is going to be a very enjoyable game to watch. And Julio Jones looks like he's back. Falcons are getting healthier. They look a little bit more settled. I am going to go with the Falcons here, Randy. I really like this matchup for Atlanta, but I think it's going to be high scoring. Yeah, this game screams shootout to me. I really like both of these offenses. And, well, I like the Atlanta offense now post Dan Quinn uh, with, with Julio seeming seeming to be re, uh, rejuvenated and Matt Ryan playing better after last week. Um, both of these teams are familiar with Dome. So, I mean, I, I just something about these two Dome teams going at it. I, I think it's going to be very high scoring. Uh, the Falcons defense still don't love. I mean, they let the Vikings kind of come back a little bit in that game. Which I didn't think they were going to lose at all, but, you know, probably too much for my liking. And then the Lions took care of business against the Jags, but 
this the Jags. So what do you really take away from that at this point? But uh, to me, I kind of I'm leaning Lions here because I I just think that they're a little bit more a complete team, and I need to see more that that it wasn't just a one week thing from the Falcons, despite it being you know a huge change in the organization. Um, show me again that you, that wasn't just like a, all right, we're going to come out and play for Raheem Morris. Um, show me that you can do it again. So I think I'm going to go Lions, uh, and I'll go Lions by you know a field goal. So I'll say. 35 to 31. Uh, I'll say four points. 35-31 Detroit. Yeah, I'm going to take the Falcons here, 31-21. I think at the end of the day, the Lions still have Matt Patricia, which is their biggest hamstring in all of this. And I just don't trust Matt Stafford late in games to come and win it. So that's my logic mm-hmm. for taking the Falcons. Huh? All right. Well, I mean, I like uh, some of the Lions running game too here, so we'll see what uh, how that game shakes out. But I'm excited to watch that game. There's a lot of like sneaky, entertaining games in this this slate, so uh, that's one of them that I'm going to be eyeing on Red Zone for sure. Uh, this game now moving on to the Battle of Ohio Part Two. This game happened on Thursday Night Football a couple weeks ago, uh, about a month ago now. Um, but the Browns, their two losses on the year were as bad losses as you can get to the Ravens and Steelers, which you know those are two of the best teams in the AFC. But when you want to be a big dog in the in the pro football world, you got to compete against the big dogs, and they have yet to do that. Um, but the Browns are four and two, and they're facing the Bengals, who are one four and one. Um, if you know, gun to my head here, I'd probably say the Browns get off the schneid, but the Bengals are feisty. So you never know. Yeah. To, to me, it's, I thought Pittsburgh was overall more talented than Cleveland and better coached because Tomlin just has that experience. I, I'm going to take Cleveland here just because I, I'm not a huge believer that Zach Taylor's ready to be mentioned along those coaches. And I like Stefan Stefanski a lot, not a huge fan of Baker Mayfield at this point. I mean, it, it's not looking great, but the Browns mm-hmm. are a better football team top to bottom. And this just came across the wire. Joe Mixon is out this game. So yep. for me, I'm, I'm taking Cleveland and uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'll take Cleveland 34 to 10. Yeah, so that leaves you, you know, Giovanni Bernard playing quite a bit. You know, obviously not the same player as Joe Mixon. Uh, the emergence of T. Higgins has been nice to see. Uh, love to see those rookie wide receivers play well. Joe Burrow, probably not used to losing, but at the end of the day, uh, you, you're – you're getting this uh, rapport with your receivers and maybe AJ green won't be there next year, which uh, doesn't look greatest. Did okay last week, but uh, maybe that'll help. You need to sure up that offensive line definitely to help on the defense. So no Nick Chubb, obviously still for the Browns, but with Kareem hunt uh, and the rest of that offense, I still trust the Browns more than the Bengals at this point. And the Browns win this game, man, we're looking at a five and two Cleveland Browns team. And I mean, that's a wild card team. I, I know they're not going to win the division, but you know, we said before the year that we could see this division being a three playoff uh, team division. And sure enough, it might be heading that way. So yeah, I'm going to go Cleveland as well. I'm going to say 27 to uh, let's say 19, and, uh, you know, it's going to be kind of interesting late, but Cleveland pulls it out. Yep, with you there. All right. Moving on now to the said Steelers. And this might be the game of the week. And it's the two undefeated teams still here. Uh, the 5-0 Steelers against the 5-0 Titans, which I do want to point out, this was a, a coronavirus-adjusted game here. This game was originally scheduled for week four. And with some finagling of the schedule now, they are playing this game now in week seven here. So the Steelers going to Tennessee to play the 5-0 Titans now. Uh, if you, you look at this matchup, the Steelers are more talented. I think they have a better defense. Uh, you know, but you look at the Titans and the offense might be a little better. I think it actually probably a lot better. And the quarterback 
play for the Titans has been incredible with Ryan Tannehill's resurgence. He still plays at such a high level that it's pretty amazing. Uh, but I worry about the Titans defense in this game. I think that the Steelers could keep up with them because of that. Uh, and I think the Steelers play better special teams than anyone else in the league. Matt, what do you make of this matchup? My biggest concern in this game for the Steelers, and I don't think Tomlin's teams do this, overlook teams, but you got the Titans at 5-0, and and then they follow up with their biggest rival in the history that they've had in the Ravens. So this is a very two mm-hmm. – I mean, these two weeks are a tough stretch, and it's going to tell us a heck of a lot about the Steelers. But I think the Taylor Lewan injury is going to loom so large in this game because with T.J. Watt yeah. and the pressure that the Steelers can bring – it's going to be hard for that offense to get comfortable. I'm going to take the Steelers here, Randy, just because of that Taylor Lewan injury. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Lewan's injury on Tuesday. Um, you know, probably the best left tackle in the league, um, minus Tyron Smith, who's also out for the year. But um, Derrick Henry, to me, I, I love Derrick Henry. And, you know, as, as much as I don't believe that running backs matter, he probably is the most valuable running back in the NFL. Um but I think he's a bad, I think Pittsburgh's a bad matchup for him. I think Tomlin is good at scheming how to stop a guy like Derrick Henry. Cause he's a big body. I think they have a lot of guys who know how to hit a big bodied running back like that. And without, you know, Taylor Lewan, the offensive line takes a big hit. He's not the most elusive guy. He's fast. If he has a hole, he can just take it to the house. Obviously we've seen that so many times, but I think Derrick Henry might have a, a little bit of a struggle in this game. I think the Steelers are well equipped to prevent a, a heavy running game, but that does not mean that Ryan Tannehill couldn't have a big day because it seems like he's had a big day against everybody. So I don't know. I, I think that the, the Titans could win this game, but I'm leaning towards you and saying the Steelers are going to win, but the Steelers I think are going to get really shafted by that schedule turnaround next week because the Ravens are on a bye now watching this game, looking their chops saying we cannot wait to get after the Steelers next week. So I think the Steelers win this game close. I'm thinking 28, 27. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I'm going to take the Steelers 21 to 20 here. I, I think it's going to be a little bit more low, low scoring. I think the Steelers get three touchdowns, and I, you know, I, I'm going to say Vrabel goes for a two pointer at the end, a la Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, and the Steelers stop him. But it's going to be this, this is going to be a very entertaining game, a must watch for football fans. Yeah, and this is one of the better coaching matchups you're going to get to um, in 2020. Vrabel is slowly becoming um, the best Belichick coached uh, disciple, and he never even coached under Belichick. He does things that other coaches just don't do. He understands the rules and the loopholes and all of these little things. Each and every week he does something that was that gave his team such an advantage, and you see that, and you're like, wow, that was insanely smart. Why don't other coaches do that? And it's a credit to him for understanding the rules and attention to detail. So, uh, Tomlin and Brable is a hell of a coaching matchup, and I, I cannot wait to watch this game. All right, moving on now to an NFC South matchup for the ages. Not really, but uh, it's still a good game here. The Carolina Panthers coming off of a loss to your Bears, coming facing the New Orleans Saints coming off of a bye. I love teams coming off of a bye, uh, unless you're the Giants or Jets, but typically I do like teams coming off of a bye who has a chance to spy on the team that they're playing the following week. So, you know, looking at this, I would just say, yeah, I like the Saints. Yeah, looking at it at face value, I, I like the Saints, but digging a little deeper in this matchup. I mean, the Saints struggle defensively stopping the run, and Carolina is going to try to run. I'm not sure if they're going to take anything from the Bears and try to stop Mike Davis. But I think at the end of the day, if we see a CMC come back this game, maybe that gives them the boost. 
Um, obviously, the Saints have some issues with a disgruntled wide receiver. I'm not, I'm not sure if a disgruntled wide receiver describes him accurately. Just a weird situation with Michael Thomas. But at the end of the day, the Panthers kind of feel like they're still in that transition phase of, you know, trying to play with these guys. But with the experience and everything else, I like the Saints in this matchup. And like you said, coming off the bye helps. Yeah, and maybe we should touch on Michael Thomas. It came out today that he has an ankle issue. It looks like he is going to be missing this game due to a setback in practice earlier this week. Uh, and you have some sources here, Matt, that tells you something more about Michael Thomas, right? Yeah, the Saints are low-key shopping Michael Thomas per you know Mike Florio and Peter King this morning. Um, the, the Saints are trying to send him a message, see how he's going to react to certain things. They they didn't like the fight in practice. They didn't like some of the things that he's been doing off the field. Um, they're a little bit annoyed with the ankle injury, so you know they think by benching him and trying to put him um, on the IR or on the injured list and not playing him and floating the trade rumors. Um, Florio said something pretty interesting that the Saints, uh, Sean Payton doesn't do anything by accident. It's not like these rumors got accidentally Mm -hmm. leaked, like they were leaked with a purpose. So while they may listen to trade rumors, I'm not sure if they trade Thomas, but they might. And it all depends on how he responds. Yeah, Felipe Melicio, our friend in the comments, said he apparently has a hamstring issue. I, I thought it was an ankle, but regardless, uh, you're probably not going to get Michael Thomas in your fantasy lineup once again this week. So uh, hopefully uh, you can get rid of Michael Thomas as well. Maybe you can trade him much like the Saints are trying to. Um, quick uh, quick question for you, though. If they you know they trade Michael Thomas, where do you, where do you see a landing spot for him? Man, I'm not sure if this is going to make you happy or not, but I think you take a look at three teams that make the most sense to me. Um, The Jets are going to have a lot of draft capital. They need playmakers badly. Um, Thomas makes a lot of sense for the Jets. He makes a lot of sense for the 49ers, and he makes a hell of a lot of sense for the Giants. I, I think those three teams need a playmaker in the worst way. Will it happen? I doubt it. <laughs> Maybe to the 49ers because I think they see that they may need a little bit of help on the outside. And Michael Thomas, I mean, you talk about depleted mm-hmm. defense. Well, you know, you're not getting Bosa back. And I know Nagaku got traded, but the next best thing that you can do is bolster your offense so you outscore people. So give Jimmy G another weapon and try to outscore people. Uh, what if a team, uh, you know, say the Vikings, uh, not the Vikings, the uh, the Ravens, you know, they, they probably could use a wide receiver on the outside uh, along with Hollywood Brown. I think that'd be a nice weapon for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I, I think the issue with that is when you see the Ravens and it, it comes down to cap, you know, how much mm-hmm. cap do they have available? And, and, and they're pressed up against it. You know, it's pretty snug. The 49ers have a little bit of wiggle room, as we saw that they tried to acquire Jamal Adams. So they can make yeah. some space. But I, I think the cap for the Ravens become an issue because now you got to look. I mean, you got to pick up Lamar Jackson's fifth year option, which is going to be coming up, you know, this offseason. And I think Michael Thomas signed a pretty substantial contract um, prior to this. Well, was it last season or this prior to this season? Um, yeah, it was, it was this off season. Yeah, so the cap space becomes an issue at that point. Yeah, I'll just say this: if the Giants uh, somehow tried to acquire a Debo after blaming another one for a lot of their failures uh, in the last five years, uh, I might have to go burn down my life stadium myself. Uh, all right, let's get back on track here. Uh, give me your prediction for Panthers at Saints. <laughs> 
I'm going to take the Saints 27, the Panthers 20. I just, I, I don't, I, I think they play catch up, but it's not enough. I'm going to go Saints 30 and Panthers 24. Um, I like these, uh, you know, one score games here late and, you know, anything could happen. And Scott Hansen's losing his mind in the witching hour. Those are the situations I live for. So, all right, moving on to probably the one of the most unwatchable games of the week because it involves the, the New York Jets. Um, sorry, Jacob, but that's just the reality of the, <laughs> the NFL now. But as the Bills traveling to MetLife to play the Jets, this is round two for these two uh, AFC East teams. And the Bills are 13 and a half point favorites. And in my pick and pull, Matt, I took the Bills and the the points give me this bills the game and this is gonna be a blowout i think yeah just get prepared for the josh allen mvp train to start again because <laughs> you, you know that's gonna happen oh josh allen tore up the jets oh yeah everyone's tearing up the jets fitzpatrick had three touchdowns against them um yeah. I, I i'm taking the bills here i mean you could basically pick a spread and i take it almost in this matchup but i'm gonna take the bills 34 the jets 10 yeah, I mean, there are, is some rumblings, though, in Jets land that they are going to have this receiver trio that they're very excited about here, along with Darnold. And apparently, Darnold will be coming back this week. But it's the Brashad Perriman, uh, the, the guy from – he's having a nice year, too. I can't believe I can't, his name is escaping me. But um, he came from Washington. I, I'll, I'll think of it. And then the rookie, Denzel Mims, that they have. Uh, those three guys, along with Darnold, they said they'd have not had a chance to see those guys together, and they were really looking forward to that. And uh, to me, it's not like they have uh, a three-headed monster wide receiver by any means, but considering some of the weapons that they've thrown out there for 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 Darnold, uh, you know, you'll take anything that you can get. And it's Jamison Crowder is the name that was escaping me. Thank you to Jacob Moses, uh, who's had a really actually good year. I think he's probably been the best player for the Jets this year. Uh, you, you make anything of that wide receiver trio, you think maybe – Darnold could do something with them. I, mean, I chuckled inside. Uh, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, and I'm sorry, Jacob. You know, I hate to do this to you, but I mean, wide receiver and quarterback, you need that timing. So all of a sudden, they're going to play on Sunday and have this timing and be able to sync up. I mean, it's just asinine. Maybe it builds up to something later on in the season. Not against the Bills. I mean, the Bills' biggest strength is their secondary. They can't stop the run. You got rid of Le'Veon Bell. Now you have old man Frank Gore. I mean, Frank Gore may play until he's 50. But, I mean, I don't have much faith in this matchup. I mean, maybe they run behind Becton, and that helps them. But I haven't seen enough of Denzel Mims ever to really make an assessment of him. I think Crowder is decent. But Crowder's probably a three on almost any other team in the NFL. Just a, a guy to put in the slot and, you know, get you yards. Unless you're a team like the Giants who could probably use Crowder as their two or their one, depending on how they want to line that up. <laughs> but I mean, he just would be another guy kind of like Sterling Shepard or Darius Slane at this point, you know? <laughs> Exactly. I, I mean, I think Slane's a solid number two, and that's kind of where I put Crowder, maybe a solid number two on a bad team. I think he would excel yeah. in the slot. Um, I just, I'm not buying this. I still think they're so overwhelmed against the Bills defense. And uh, I, I don't know, man. I, Darnold coming back after two weeks against the Bills pass rush, they can get after it a little bit. I mean, the weakness of this Mm -hmm. Bills team is their run defense. You try to pass against them, it could be a long day. Yeah, I mean, they played this game week one, which is the closest game the Jets have played all year. They lost this game by 10, uh, 27 to 17. Um, 
you know, I mean, this is, I'm not saying that the Jets are going to win this game. I actually think they will get killed in this game, but it wouldn't shock me if they get some garbage time points, maybe get a little rhythm on offense to make Jets fans a little happy to be a little respectable, score some points. Come on, Jets, do something to make your fan base somewhat happy. Uh, but yeah, Bill's going to win this game huge. Uh, I'm going to say 30 to 14 and, uh, you know, the Bills are going to cover and I'm going to be happy and pick them. All right. We spent way more time on that game than I expected, but we're going to move on to another game. Uh, we're in a worse division somehow, uh, and that's the NFC East, which we already saw half of that division play last night. And now it is the Dallas Cowboys traveling to play the Washington football team. Uh, the Cowboys, I guess, no, the Philly would lead the division now with that tie, but Dallas is two and four going and playing Washington, who is one and five. I don't really have much interest in an Andy Dalton against uh, Kyle Allen matchup, but here we are, Matt. Yeah, I mean, here we are. I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to go against the grain here, man. I, I'm taking Washington in this matchup for a couple of reasons. That defensive line against that depleted, just undermanned. I mean, if Zach Martin doesn't play this game, I mean, Chase Young and gosh, Ryan Kerrigan and Montez Sweat are probably going to get seven sacks combined. We saw what the Cardinals did to them, and the Cardinals don't have a defensive front seven anywhere near this Washington front seven. So I think Washington is going to cause a lot of issues for the Cowboys. Um, you know, so I'm going to take Washington here. I'm going to go 20 to 17. And this is a audible history here. This is the second straight week that we are both predicting an upset because I had my eyes on Washington as well. And my main reason is Mike McCarthy is the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and he is already losing the locker room in Dallas. They already hate his guts all week. They're talking about how bad of a coach he is and how unprepared he was and how he just swindled Jerry Jones into thinking that he's some analytic guy now and he watched all this tape and he understood how to call offense. And I'll just say this too, and you might not like this, but I have a greater appreciation for Aaron Rodgers now after seeing how freaking terrible Mike McCarthy is for another franchise. The fact that Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl with this clown as his coach makes me think Aaron Rodgers is even greater than I thought he was to begin with. Like he carried this man, like this man is not a good football coach. I think he's lost it. And this team's going to totally fold right now. I don't care how good, like the offense looks at, at points. Zeke looks dejected. He lost more fumbles already this year than he's lost in his whole career. I, I think that Ron Rivera is a coach that, you know, gets his guys up to play. I didn't love the decision to go for two against the Giants last week, but at the end of the day, you go for the win. I think players respect that. And I think Washington's going to come out and they're going to play hard for Ron Rivera. And like you said, that pass rush is going to come at Andy Dalton. And I think they're going to make his life hell all day. So I'm going to, I'm with you. I'm going to say this game's going to be hideous, but they're going to win this game 16 to 10 and Washington. And they're going to have three, two win teams in the NFC East and my lonely Giants last place at one and six because that's of course how this is going to happen but um that game is going to be terrible i'm not looking forward to it but this game the next game we're going to talk about here matt uh i'm actually looking forward to because i like this quarterback matchup and i just like these uh two teams i don't love the texans but i do love i do, I do like the packers even though they got smoked last week but green bay traveling to houston to play the texans we have aaron Rodgers against Deshaun watson uh, i think this is going to be a very interesting game i don't think so no, I, I mean, history shows when Aaron Rodgers loses big, he comes back extremely angry. I, I, I'm going to take the Packers in this one. I think Deshaun Watson will put up nice numbers. He, Deshaun Watson's having a nice year. I mean, well, let's not hide that fact. He, he just doesn't have much of anything to help him. 
Um, the Romeo Cornell boost game obviously is over with after last week. So, you know, I heartbreaking losses tend to really linger in the NFL. You, you lose close games, they tend to stockpile on you. So I'm going to take the Packers here. I'm going to take the Packers 38 to 24 in this matchup. All right. I mean, I, I mean, the Texans really came out and, and put it on the Titans last week. I thought they looked really good offensively and Deshaun Watson in particular. And I don't love the, the, the Packers defense. So I could see Deshaun Watson having another really nice day for the Texans here. Uh, maybe division games are just weird. Maybe that's why that game ended up the way it did. But um, I do think the Packers are going to win this game, but I just think it would, it's going to be closer than that. Um, but I'm with you on the Aaron Rodgers comeback thing. He typically gets, you know, super angry. We're experiencing it this year in general, uh, um, with everyone doubting him and now he goes on this FU tour. Um, but, you know, him and Devonta Adams, you know, he just came back from injury. So they needed to work out some kinks there. I do think the Packers win. I think they went 30 to 21, but the game is much closer than you you think it's going to be. At least that's what I think. Okay. Moving on now. That was the early games. We're moving now to the late games. This is the four o'clock window or the one o'clock window for you. And we have a battle of the pirates. We have a Super Bowl rematch from 2002. And I have a little nugget about this game in a little bit here, Matt, but it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to Oakland, not the Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders. Damn it. I owe a quarter into the bucket. Uh, I called them Oakland, but uh, I love this matchup. This is another game that I'm super interested in watching this week. Yeah. To me, Here's my concern. We found out earlier this week that a bunch of the Raiders offensive linemen tested positive for COVID. I have not heard mm-hmm. any update on that to date. If it is their starting defensive line, I have serious concerns about this matchup. However, if they are healthy, I feel like I need to give two scores, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna go this route. I think the Raiders win this game. Because I think what they can do offensively, if Derek Carr is playing his best football and hitting Henry Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar and Darren Waller, and they use Josh Jacobs, it is going to be a long day at the office for that Bucks defense. So I think the Raiders defense is a little better than what people give them credit for. I'm not in love with this Tampa Bay offense. Like I know Gronk scored a touchdown and Ronald Jones had a big game. The Raiders are better defensively than the Packers are, but I am going to take the Raiders here, thirty-one to twenty-seven. Oh, okay. I mean, look, I I am so high on this Bucks defense, probably more than anyone I know, because uh, I love the front. And I love it. The pass rush. I love the linebackers. Levante, David, and Devin White is a great linebacking core. I love those two guys. They're all over the field. Their secondary is, is pretty solid. I mean, they're not the greatest secondary ever, but I love the front seven. Um, and I think they can make Derek Carr's life a little bit uh, rough in this game, especially with the COVID situation. I'm trying to look look up a, a, an update that I saw earlier today, but my connection's giving me a crap. But I believe I saw that there were no um, further issues today, which is a good sign for the game on Sunday. So um, for you know football fans' sake, I hope there's no issues and both these teams can play. Uh, I think the Bucs are going to win this game, and you know I think they're going to win it close, but uh, this is going to be just another one of these games that's a good game on, at the end of the day, and that's what I'm rooting for. Uh, and I'm going to say Bucs are going to win 28-24, to 24. Uh, and you know, this is going to be an exciting game, hard hitters, um, with Derek Carr actually playing pretty well, but I heard this nugget earlier today and I wanted to know if you knew this. 
uh, John Gruden in this game is going to become the first coach ever to coach against the team that he previously won a Super Bowl with. That's, that blew my mind that that was a thing, and I didn't know if you knew that that was a thing either. I, I didn't know that was a thing, but I do have to change my report. Um, so I, I'm going to take the Bucks now, 28-21, to 21, after, receive, after hearing news that um, Jonathan Abrams is out, Trent okay. Brown is out, um, Darman Arnett is out, Damon Arnett, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, first rounder pick. First yep. Round pick. I am not, um, not, I'm not feeling this matchup for the, uh, for the old oh, Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> so I, I'm taking the Bucks 28-21. All right, that is useful information. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a crappy situation for the Raiders and hopefully no more positive tests because that could affect the game itself on Sunday. So uh, obviously pay attention to that situation. If you have fantasy implications and maybe that game could get pushed to Monday, who knows? Uh, the NFL has had some uh, success with adjusting schedules based on that. But John Gruden coached the Raiders, lost the Tuck Rule game, leaves the Raiders, goes to the Bucks, beats the Raiders in the Super Bowl, and now it all comes full circle. Leaves the NFL for 10 years to be a broadcaster. Now he's back with the Raiders, facing the Bucks. And who's the Bucks quarterback? Tom Brady, the man he lost to in the Tuck Rule game. It is storyline central here as a journalist, Matt. These headlines write themselves. What an unbelievable story. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just Tom Brady fatigued. I I, I really don't care. Tom Brady doesn't move the needle for me. I just know how. John Gruden, I, though. John Gruden. I, I, no, I like Gruden. I do like Gruden. I, I like Gruden more than I like Brady. I'm glad Gruden's back as a head coach. The, the, the NFL needs a guy like John Gruden. I love John Gruden's offensive system, ground and pound, beat you up, maulers, all that stuff. But when you're undermanned, you're undermanned. And, you know, this Bucks defense, like you said, is, is good. And you can't afford to be having guys on your COVID list against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. So I, I just, I mean, to, the storylines don't really matter to me as much as the guys on the field matter to me. So will I watch it? If it's on, yes. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm just not excited. This is drama for men, Matt. There has to be storylines for me to care. This is like wrestling, but real. Okay, this stuff matters to me, damn it. Thank you, Leon. I love for full circles in the comments. I love a good circle myself. So, all right, we're going to move on now to the AFC West uh, and the Chiefs traveling to the Mile High Stadium and facing the Denver Broncos with Drew Lockback coming off of an impressive win in New England against the Patriots. But to me, uh, the Broncos are very limited offensively, and I don't think their defense is good enough to contain the Chiefs. This feels like a Chiefs blowout. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this game. Uh, the Chiefs had some tough games, some close nail biters the last few weeks. Just got a, done really, you know, beating the Bills pretty soundly in a way that I don't think many people expected. But Chiefs 34, Broncos 17. Yeah, I don't know how much we really need to talk about this game. Uh, I just, I don't love the Broncos. I know they won last week, but it was a weird game. Uh, they only scored field goals and that's not going to get the job done against the Chiefs uh, and you know I'm so impressed with how the Chiefs can just change their style like you know Patriot Chameleon like I talked about that uh, but yeah I think the Chiefs are going to roll in this game two touchdowns you know, 31-17 is that what you said that we have the same score yeah yeah I, I got Chiefs 34-17 34 I got 31 I'll say 31 so okay uh, moving on now to uh, 
the San Francisco 49ers against those New England Patriots. And the Niners are traveling across country uh, to play this game. Obviously, uh, they're on different sides of the country. So, uh, But it's Jimmy G's homecoming. I don't believe he's been back to New England, to Foxborough, since leaving the Patriots. So storylines, Matt. We got plenty of them here. This is what I'm here for, baby. Uh, but <laughs> the Niners coming off of a big win against the division rival in the Rams. And the Patriots kind of faulting, uh, kind of faltering here, uh, looking pretty mediocre, um, you know, ever since you know cam going on the uh covid list coming back they, the patriots haven't looked really all that impressive yet this year um part of me really thinks the niners are going to pull this out yeah I, I like the niners here now i i think the niners um definitely present a lot of different problems for this patriots team and i just i i don't believe the patriots offensively against this defense really can exploit them. The one thing the 49ers still do really well is stop the run. Um, we mm-hmm. saw that kind of the past couple of weeks. So really to exploit this defense, you know, you, you want to pass against them. And can the Patriots do it? Maybe. I just really like the Niners in this game. But I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I'm going to go Niners 21, Patriots 19. Okay. The Niners, I feel, have been have been a part of a lot of the most unwatchable games so far this year. So uh, I think that trend continues, uh, and this game is going to be very low scoring. I think they win this game sixteen to thirteen, uh, and it's going to be another one of these games that New England plays in. That's just oof, it's ugly. And then then that would beating the Patriots would be two and four, and I didn't remember the last time they would be two and four and that below five hundred. But I think Bill Belichick has some work to do, uh, and we'll see how that ends up for the Pats. Okay. Uh, we, unfortunately, we wrapped up the late game slate and the re- and the regular game slate with a, a, a pooper, but at least it's got one exciting thing about it. And that one exciting thing is Justin Herbert, uh, him and the Chargers coming off of their bye, welcoming in the Jacksonville Jaguars at SoFi Stadium and one of two games being played at SoFi Stadium this week. Uh, and uh, at least we get SoFi as well. So what do you make of the Chargers, uh, Chargers hosting the Jags? I think the Chargers win this one pretty handily. I I like where the Chargers have been trending, especially with Herbert getting better each week. Um, He really looks like a really good quarterback in this league with a lot of potential and a lot of room to grow. So you see a lot of fixable things. But one thing you can't teach is the touch that this guy has on his football. I mean, Mm -hmm. we talk about Daniel Jones earlier, how I felt he could have put a little more touch on it. Daniel Jones, I'm sorry. Justin Herbert has an innate ability just to put the right amount of touch on a football and where it needs to go. Grant, he's going to make rookie mistakes. I don't like everything about his game right now, but I see it improving. So the Chargers really getting their quarterback of the future in this draft, which, you know, we all kind of laughed at during our draft show about Herbert being good. I like the Chargers in this game, and I like the Chargers a lot. I like the Chargers 28 to 24. Now, I said I like them a lot. What we know about the Jaguars and garbage Minshew is that they are going to score some garbage points, mm-hmm. but the Chargers are going to win this game. Yeah, uh, I like the Chargers handily in this game as well because the Jags are going to jag. They are becoming one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, I know they got that first win in, uh, in week one and that kind of fluky win over the Colts. Uh, and then they played the Titans super tough for some reason, but uh, they are just a really bad football team. So uh, I want to see Justin Herbert, you know, keep doing what he's doing, you know, because he's 
put the team on his back in a lot of these games that they have not been able to win. So let's not have a late game backbreaking turnover on this one and let's finish the job. I actually think the Chargers win pretty handily and it's going to be 34 to 24. And that last touchdown really makes it a 10 point game, but it really wasn't all that close to begin with. So uh, I love the Chargers in this game. All right, now time for primetime city here and it's Sunday night football and it's a great matchup because it's the best division in football and it's the NFC West. It is the Seattle Seahawks at five and zero, coming off of a bye week uh, going to Arizona, not too far away from you to face the Cardinals coming off of another primetime win over the Cowboys. I absolutely love this matchup. These two teams always play classic games against each other. Uh, you're in Arizona. What's the chatter like out there? People are, are all over the Kyler Murray hype train, and, and rightfully so. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he has a really good ability to run the football. I am still concerned about this man's passing accuracy. I mean, you don't go 19, 9 for 24 against the Cowboys defense that can't stop pretty much anything. So now you, you go against Seattle, who I think Jamal Adams might be back this game. Um, from what I've been reading, it, it's, I think, a game-time decision. Correct me if I'm wrong there. I'm not sure. If anybody in the chat wants to correct me, feel free as well. But if Jamal Adams comes back, it totally changes the dynamic of how far apart these two teams are going to be at the end. I, To me, though, it, it all comes back to Russell Wilson willing the Seahawks team to win in DK Metcalf. I, Buda Baker's not one of the better coverage safeties, I think. I think he's great in the box, stopping the run. I think he'll be able to neutralize Chris Carson quite a bit. But I think DK Metcalf's going to eat this game, and he is going to eat a lot because they they can put Metcalf outside. And, you know, Peterson's had a great career, but he doesn't look like the same guy. So I expect Seattle to win this game, putting up a lot of points. I I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. But I'm going to go Seattle 37 and I'm going to go Arizona 26. All right. I mean, you went all over this DK Metcalf thing and more than anyone I know, and you correctly predicted how great he was going to be. Uh, I thought he was going to be the second coming of David Boston and, you know, Cardinals fans are all too familiar with David Boston. So, um, but to me now, I mean, he's really coming into his zone. I think having Russell Wilson helps a ton, but at the end of the day, you got to help make your own plays too. Uh, he kind of looks like T.O. to me. Is that too much of a stretch to say? Cause he's got that physical freakness to him that T.O. had. I mean, I said it last year in the playoffs. That's who he reminds me of. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. who he's looked like. Uh, I think he might have better hands than T.O. had earlier in his career because that was the one thing that plugged him with the 49ers until really that game against the Packers in the playoffs where he caught that touchdown pass from Steve Young. Um, I believe that was the game that really jolted his career. So to me, I I like D.K. Metcalf in that mold. Uh, I know people, um, I think Jamal Adams came out and said that he's the next Calvin Johnson. Uh, No, I mean – to, to me, Calvin Johnson is in a league of his own because he was 6'5", 235, and Grant Metcalf's about 6'3", 225. But Calvin could do whatever you wanted. His lateral mm-hmm. speed was so much better. His straight line speed was better than Metcalf's. And to, to me, it's just Calvin Johnson is like the LeBron James, um, Michael yeah. Jordan kind of receiver because you only see those guys once every so often. It was kind of like Randy Moss. But I would put Calvin Johnson ahead of Randy Moss. That's how much I thought Calvin Johnson was wow. a football player. Yeah, yeah. I, th- there's not enough superlatives. Um, excuse my language. There are superlatives. <laughs> but uh, to describe <laughs> Calvin Johnson here. But we're not talking about Calvin Johnson. We're talking about DK Metcalf. And absolutely, the T.O. comp is right on 
for my money. Th- those two players are, you know, almost the exact same, but Metcalf with a hell of a lot better attitude. Yeah. I mean, I do not love Metcalf, like I said, coming out, but he landed at a perfect situation and he looks uh, like he's becoming one of the best receivers in the NFL. So credit to him there. Uh, and my boy, Russ MVP favorite, go Hawks. Uh, Corey Decker, our friend in the comments, resident Cardinals fan saying the home team in this matchup has not won since the Seahawks in 2015. And I do believe that that is like one of those quirky things that like the the Cardinals can go into Seattle with the 12s there. And like David Johnson has a breakout game and like random players play like really well there. And uh, with no fans, it doesn't feel the same, but I do think Seattle wins this game and I do think it's high scoring. And I love the 37 number. I love an odd number. That's weird like that. I'm going to do one better. I'm going to say 39. I'm going to say 39 to 35 uh, Seattle, and it's going to be a classic game. And my boy Jason Myers from Marist College going to kick some field goals for me in fantasy. It's going to be nice. It's going to be going to be an exciting game. Uh, and our friend Jacob in the comments said Jamal Adams didn't practice, so it's not looking good for him. That means probably more points for the Cardinals there. So, uh, all right. We got one more primetime game to talk about here, Matt, and now it's your time to shine because it's the 5-1 and one Chicago Bears against the 4-2 and two uh los angeles rams in sofi the second game in sofi stadium we get we get a little mitch we get a little nick Foles in that beautiful california stadium you know let's what are the bears gonna do they're gonna put on an offensive show or what oh i i don't know about an offensive show here randy i mean i i don't i don't predict um bears games too lightly I, I tend to take it a little bit more seriously i like to keep it close to the vest you know a little uh <laughs> ugly game action here one thing I do know is that Jared Goff is a pumpkin and, you know, we're getting close to Halloween and this is a terrible, terrible, terrible matchup for Jared Goff. I want to remind everyone that yes, the Rams did beat the bears last year, but guess who threw, I think it was five interceptions, five Mitch Trubisky, the bears. I mean, the Rams still barely beat them last year. Mitch Trubisky was the epitome of awful in that game. I think with Nick Foles, and I've said this all year, you get a more steady quarterback. It's more of a flat line, but that's okay because we don't want the ups and downs of Mitch. I, To me, how you have to beat the Rams is attack the middle of the field. Allen Robinson and Jalen Ramsey are probably going to be locked up all game long. So that's going to be a fascinating matchup because we do know the Bears absolutely love throwing to Allen Robinson. However, the Bears have a trio of tight ends that can really exploit the middle of this defense. And Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet, and Demetrius Harris. Um, Cole Komet scored his first career touchdown last week. So maybe they try to utilize him more in the offense. But let's get to the defense. Robert Quinn looked good last week. Khalil Mack is tearing offenses apart. The defensive secondary might be the best in the NFL with Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson. By the way, a bullshit pass interference call against those Panthers last week. I don't know what the refs saw in that, but I like the Bears a lot in this matchup because I think they get more steady play from their offense than they would if Trubisky was playing. We all talked about golf um, with Patrick and SpongeBob <laughs> on Tuesday. So I did props <laughs> to Corey Decker for sending me that clip. I like the Bears here. I, I like the Bears 24 to 16 in this matchup. I just think it's not a good matchup for golf. The Bears know how to play them, and the playmakers are too good defensively for the Rams, and they didn't do jack shit versus the 49ers. 
I uh, I think we need a poll in football life. What is a better nickname for Jared Goff? A pumpkin or SpongeBob? Because I think that either one is really good, but I want to get the feedback of those in football life. So I'm going to create that poll uh, a little later, I think, because I can't get it out of my head now where Sean McVay's Patrick just with a walkie telling Jared Goff what to do. And if that disconnection, if there's a disconnect, uh, Jared Goff has no idea what to do and he looks lost. So uh I knew me watching SpongeBob for so many hours, my childhood was going to come back and be a benefit to me someday. And I can't wait to call my mom after the show and tell her, you know, all those times you told me I was losing brain cells by watching SpongeBob jokes on you. Cause I made a great SpongeBob metaphor on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> like you said though, the, the, the uh, Bears defense is, you know, top three, if not the best defense in the NFL. And I think that, uh, you know, the Rams say we have a good offensive line, but it comes down to the play of Jared Goff. He threw five interceptions against the Bears last year. Do not like that at all. Um, it, the Rams win this game. It's going to be based on defense. If Foles, you know, throws a bad pick to Jalen Ramsey or if Aaron Donald just dominates this game, which is totally possible. Uh, anything is possible when you play offense like the Bears. I know you don't like hearing that, but it helps keep teams in games. At the end of the day, they're there. So, uh, I do think the Bears win this game. And, you know, like I said, the Niners play the most unwatchable games. The Bears and ugly football is synonymous with one another. Um, but if you like defense, um, the Bears certainly play it at an elite level. I think the Bears win this game, uh, I don't know, 20 to 14. And uh, they, they bottle up the Rams pretty easily here. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, it, it just comes down to Jared Goff. It, you know, it, yeah. that's what it feels like. Um, also the, and, and here's the other thing for me, when I take a look at teams, the bears have been exploited by speed. You know, I, I think that's mm-hmm. been one of the bugaboos when they went against Calvin Ridley, that long play. And, um, I forget some of the other teams, but the Rams have Robert Woods and Cooper cup. And to me, that's just kind of like, they're excellent route runners, excellent route runners, but what the Bears do well is they can bottle up routes. You know, they can cover routes. They just struggle with straight line speed. So that's kind of what worries me. And they love those deep crossing routes with Tayshawn Gibson and Eddie Jackson covering the middle of that field. It's going to be a long day for old Jared Goff here. How are the Bears against tight ends? Because I do like the duo for the Rams and Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby. So uh, if, you, if you do well on those receivers, maybe it opens up a little bit for the tight ends over the middle of the field. You know, it's kind of interesting that you bring that up because they really haven't faced a really good tight end this year. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. the Panthers really didn't have one. Detroit Hawkinson had a touchdown against them, but yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah, not much. I'm not sure where Hawkinson ranks amongst tight ends. So really, it'll be interesting to see this team. I know they're gonna, you know, obviously face teams that have probably better tight ends than what they've faced so far, but. it's really been straight line speed probably more so in the slot than on the outside edges so they do pretty well covering the outside edges but it's that slot buster screens not that fast and he he he's gotten burned by them quite a bit so if you're going to exploit the bears defense slot speed seems to be the key all right. Well, then I'm looking forward to that. It's a good Monday night football matchup. Uh, that should be a good one. I love SoFi in primetime as well. So uh, that'll be a good one. All right, Matt. Um, we're going to touch on a quick, a couple of news items here. We already touched on Michael Thomas in the Saints preview. Uh, so uh, two teams on a bye making a trade with one another. Two purple teams, the Vikings and the Ravens making a trade. The Vikings traded for Unique Ngakwe before the season started, giving up a second round pick for him. And they now ship him to Baltimore for a third round pick, essentially 
losing 50 or so spots in the draft based on Vikings season ending and where the Ravens season ends. Um, I know they wanted to pair him with Daniel Hunter, who uh, is now going to miss the rest of the season. So maybe their thought process is let's try to get a pick back for him. Even if it is a third rounder, it's better than nothing. Uh, I kind of would have rather just kept him because Zinique Ngakwe already has five sacks this year. Yeah, I mean, he's produced for them. And I think part of the issue, I think, with the Vikings is it's twofold. I don't think they believe they can win with Kirk Cousins anymore. I I think they've seen this and it's an issue. Cap space, you know, they're not in a good position with it. You know, with Harrison Smith, Daniil Hunter, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook. I mean, they've given out some pretty substantial contracts. And Nagaku just, to me, I think became more of a cap casualty thinking that, Hey, you know what, this team ain't it, you know, and they have to figure out how to get cap space because they can't cut cousins. Every bit of that contract is guaranteed. He's going to get, I think it's 90 million something now. So every year it's going to be a $30 million cap hit, whether he's on your team or not. So, you know, they extended him based off last year. It, it was a mistake. Cousins is exactly who we thought he was. I, I didn't see anything in him. You know, people that we even praised him during the offseason. This is the same old Kirk Cousins. Last year, they got lucky, and they still couldn't beat the Bears with the Bears defense that was depleted by injuries. I mean, just decimated by injuries. So, to me, you hate to do this, and it puzzles. Why would you do that? It's because they thought Cousins was something more than what he was, and he's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we're going to have a lot of trade news probably coming up because the trade deadline is next Tuesday, not this Tuesday coming up, but the following Tuesday. So I'm sure we'll have a lot more trades to talk about. And the Jets are cleaning house, so good for them on selling, doing the right thing. Hopefully the Giants follow suit. Uh, but I love this deal for the Ravens, Matt. Uh, you put Nick Ngakwe alongside Clayus Campbell again, like they had in Jacksonville when they made it to the Final Four. And the Ravens defense, I think, is better than that Jacksonville defense was. I mean, the Ravens defense is making a case for themselves to be one of the best defenses in the NFL now. Yeah, I, I think this is 100% geared towards stopping the um, Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs. Yep. Yeah. The, the Steelers, I mean, those games are still going to be what they are. They're physical. But to me, this just screams, we have to stop Patrick Mahomes. They know who they have to beat to get to the Super Bowl. And we all know everything goes through, you know, Kansas City. So this trade was made for that reason. Yep. Uh, all right. And the other news item of the week, and it's uh, a not so familiar face anymore, but he would be a nice pairing next to DK Metcalf, perhaps. Uh, Antonio Brown has one more week after this one left on his eight game suspension. Uh, and the rumor has it is that the Seattle Seahawks are interested in signing the free agent wide receiver who has not played since a week two game with the Patriots last year. Um, if they put Antonio Brown with Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Chris Carson, Man, I love that offense. I'm getting just chills thinking about it. I, 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 I hate this move for the Seahawks. Antonio Brown just ruins your team's culture. Like, <laughs> it, it it's true. is. It's true. To, to, to me, you don't need them. Like, Seattle needs defensive players. Yeah. Awful. Like, I mean, why they didn't go get Nagaku, I, beyond me. Like the, the, that would have been perfect for this team. So I, t- to me, you get a B you're opening the door for the 49ers and the Cardinals. You know, this team's built on culture 
Seahawks, you know, try to get the right guys like a Jadavian Clowney fit nicely because he wasn't, you know, a me guy, but AB is just all me all the time. And I, there's a reason why everyone is staying away. There's a reason why nobody wants this guy and you want to kick those tires. Uh, no, no. I mean, he's been out of the league for what? Two years now. He hasn't played a game in two years. He played so, last year. He played one game for the Pats last year. Was it last year? And then he got suspended yeah. again yeah. with all those comments. And I think he still has an eight game suspension. So oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's got one more, he's got eight games. So, you know, he's got this week and next week. And then after that, he's eligible to play. Yeah. So to me, why do this? Why? It's, it's not a good move. Yeah. No, I, I hate this move for Seattle. I guess like, I guess to Corey Decker's point, like Russell Wilson could help maybe tame him. Maybe Pete Carroll can maybe tame him. They, Seattle's a, a different situation than most places. I think, uh, I think they're pretty mellow. I think they're more pretty accepting of people. I mean, they let Marshawn Lynch go and run around and eat Skittles and never talk to the media and do all this stuff. Like basically like one of the biggest me guys out there was Marshawn Lynch, but he didn't do anything destructive to the team. I don't think, I think he just made himself look like an ass a lot of the time. And that's the difference with Antonio Brown. Like he does things absolutely detrimental to the team. Like just, and you can't really have that. So I understand that as far as the locker rooms uh, goes, like he was at the, he's on the Patriots. Like if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick can't tame you and figure you out, like I have a hard time believing anyone else can, but uh, if you look at just the talent on the field, I love the thought of him on the Seahawks with, with DK and Chris Carson and, you know, Russell Wilson, obviously. Um, but I, I'm not going to get too excited until it actually happens. But the fact that there's rumors, maybe that there'll be more teams following suit in the Antonio Brown sweepstakes. If it's not Seattle, do you see him landing on any team at all? Uh, New Orleans seems like the other team that would kick the tires on him. Other mm-hmm. than that, I, I don't see really there's, – there's too many conservative teams out there that really thrive on the culture by their coaches. Um, you know, Tampa Bay, I don't see that happening. Chicago, sure as hell ain't going down that road. Green Bay isn't doing it. Um, Arizona, I don't see Arizona even touching him. The Rams won't. I, to, to me, there's like, there's a string of coaches that just don't want to deal with him, period. Yeah, I would say the Niners, I could see too, but I think Shanahan's one of those guys who won't put up with a lot of his crap. Uh, and I could just see him and Jimmy G's relationship not being the smoothest thing ever. So maybe they'll just avoid that situation altogether. So uh, we'll see what, what happens with Antonio Brown, if, if anything. But, uh, yeah, he's he's looming now. I think we're approaching the point where he's going to be eligible here in the future. So, all right, Matt, that is going to do it for our Football Friday episode here. Uh, why don't you tell us about some of the other podcasts under the Life Group umbrella? Okay, well, uh, we do have our Total Bases podcast on Sunday, which will be airing just before a lot of the pregame shows and during some of the pregame shows. So if you want to get a little bit more insight on the World Series, which we have Game 3 tonight, mm-hmm. um, it might be over before Game 5, um, which would be Sunday. But those guys do a great job, Sean, Connor Flannery, and Felipe Melicio. Then we have Dong City on Monday with Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado Jr. I'm sure they will have a lot to say about Tampa Bay and the Dodgers. Um, World Series, like I said, we're getting near the end, Randy. All the championships, uh, this the Audible, you know, we return on Tuesday to review all the weeks of an action and a Bears win, hopefully, or a Bears loss. Maybe we're going to kick somebody in the behind. Who knows? It can go either way. And then on Wednesday, the step back does come back. Um, they're bi weekly shows, so they'll give us some news and notes around the NBA, what may happen this offseason, and Anthony Davis opting out. So I'm sure that with intention to resign. Don't do yeah. this to me. With yeah. the intention to resign. Don't do this 
to me? Uh, of course. I mean, because he's not man <laughs> enough to come back home to Chicago. We all know this. But and then um, Friday, it's us again. You know, we're here with you guys two days a week. We're here with you. We are in a committed relationship with our viewers, Randy. <laughs> well, we're almost at the halfway point, if you can believe it or not, in the NFL season already. So we're right in the thick of it here. So you kind of have no choice to do two shows a week here because you got to do a preview and a review. And there's a lot to talk about in the NFL. And uh, it is the king of all sports. So despite there being championships in the NBA and baseball, and I love those sports, Matt, we both know who's king, and it is the National Football League. So uh, I'm, ha I'm happy to be here talking football with you every week. I'm happy to have you guys in the comment section. I want to thank you guys for joining us and participating and giving us some interaction. We love that as well. So uh, if you're, regardless if you're watching us on the Facebook show, or on the YouTube channel, on audio platforms, if you're listening only on Spotify, on Apple, on Anchor, or however you, you listen, wherever you listen, we greatly appreciate all of the support. Matt, do you have any parting words for our audience? I mean, I could close with bear down, but we all know it. So I'm just going to say, enjoy the last weekend of decent weather, Illinois, because I heard it is a shit show starting tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yikes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, my parting shots i guess would be don't stay up on a thursday night to watch your garbage franchise play a game against a division rival that they haven't beaten in four years thus leading to absolutely no sleep so i'm gonna go try to take a nap here on this friday and enjoy the rest of my weekend so uh my schedule is absolutely stupid uh sorry if i sounded tired or slurred my words a little bit i absolutely hate the giants i cannot wait for dave gettleman to be out of my life but for on behalf of matt bushnell i am randy hammond saying thank you guys so much for joining us it's so long and enjoy week seven